614 Startups Nation, welcome back to another episode of the 614 Startups Podcast. My name is Elio Harmon, your host. And man, I went and found an OG, all right? A big OG in the Columbus startup community. That's no none other than my guy, Dan Rockwell of Big Kitty Labs. Dan, welcome to the show. Great to be here, man. It's finally overdue, man. This is like 614 Startups. Man, I thought my middle name was Startups. What happened in Columbus? No, I'm kidding. It's all good. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you. It's one of those things where it's too obvious, so you overlook it, right? Like Dan Rockwell as a guest on a Columbus Startup podcast is just too obvious. Maybe that's why it took so long. So it's great to have you. Um, For folks who don't know you, you know, that might be the rare person who might be new to the community, right? Uh, Let's do a bit of background, personal and professional to kick off this conversation. All right, personal. Um, The youngest is six. Um, My folks moved to Columbus, Ohio from California. Um, My father uh, was a professor at Ohio State for about 50 years, like 45, 50 years uh, uh, in uh, college engineering. Um, so I got, uh, four brothers and one sister. Um, uh, it's like, it's pretty insane. Uh, <laughs> it's great. I'm the youngest. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 um, high school, you know, I went to Bishop Larson high school, you know, good times, Catholic boy, St. Andrews, you know, grade school. And then, uh, um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do in terms of college. And, um, my folks decided maybe because they didn't want me to move away or whatnot. They said, Oh, just do whatever. You're fine. You'll figure things out. Go when you want to go. And, um, and I had a phobia about basically, I know my folks save money for my college, you know, and I had a phobia about like, um, not spending it correctly. So I was like, all right, let's just not stop it. I was not spend it. And I'll just, basically I told my folks, I'm like, I'm going to go take life 101, the study of work, you know, and just like, do it. Uh, and so I did that. And I, I happened to have a lot of just great moments that seemed to line up and create an interesting future for me, which kind of unfolded. Um, I used to sell video games at a store here in town called Computer Success. It used to be right next to Micro Center. I've got to know a lot of the early, you know, um, hardcore geeks and the Atari and Amiga scene and console scene. One of the first things I ever did is um, I, I got into um, Japanese console games long before they ever came stateside. And uh, back in the day, you could modify the cartridges and, and sell them in the U.S. and make obscene margin. And uh, I did that once. I brought some money from my, my manager at the computer store, and I did a bet on some Japanese Batman games that was going to come out on the Sega Mega Drive, which you could just modify the cartridge and put in the U.S. systems. And I remember we were selling those to, you know, gaming lawyers that, you know, work downtown. We used to have a lawyer come in from downtown and he would buy every high-end game system he could find, you know. And um, he was great. He was a big fan of mine and encouraged me and the store to import more Japanese games. And I started to do that, build a whole department. Uh, And then I started uh, cross-merchandising the Japanese games with the animation, which I was a big fan of, Japanese anime. Uh, and then that over time actually um, got me a job in Texas uh, to work in Japanese animation, which I'm sure a lot of people are probably like, what? Dan did what? <laughs> yeah, I did. I worked in Japanese animation. Uh, I, worked, I, did, I did a lot of things. I, I, I've created uh, trailers 
uh, anime trailers. I have probably about 24 anime, anime trailers to my name of shows, things like uh, Neon Genesis, uh, Evangelion, or Battle Angel, Alita, stuff like that. Things that we know of, but we wouldn't have known the, maybe the origin stories of how those shows ever came to the US and how they ever got really popularized in the first place. So I was a part of that, uh, which is probably like my first sort of startup. Um, between that, I got into sort of broadcast video gear. I was really big into Avid editing systems and I, I used to sell a thing called the Video Toaster, which is, if anyone knows post-production uh, technology uh, lore, uh, you know, the Video Toaster was showing people how to, you know, it was disruption in the 80s, late 80s. You could get a Video Toaster system for $11,000, which was a lot of money and say 89, but it was a drop in a well compared to the $385,000 you needed for an Avid, right? So uh, it was fun sort of being on the edge of disruption as early as possible and sort of seeing that effect. Um, and then from working in Japanese animation, I, I thought that uh, I could uh, do B movies. I thought I would go to Hollywood and serve coffee for people and try to get into film. <laughs> so I went out to Portland, Oregon and did my, uh, did my own training kind of thing. I, I went to like a B movie film camp and worked on a B film, a B movie. I worked on the trailer for that and the edit. Uh, that was my first time doing live action uh, video um, production and editing. And I uh, really enjoyed it. And uh, I remember they told me like, you already know how to edit. Why did you come here? I was like, All right. I want the official. Like sometimes when you learn things on your own, you want to go and like get the professor to be like, yeah, oh, you're legit. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I was looking for that legitness, not really knowing that maybe I was always legit. I just didn't realize it. You know what I mean? In terms of just how my own pursuit of things, I guess. So that got me, um, that didn't work out. That was 2000 when we had sort of an initial crash in the economy right around 2000. And uh, I decided to pivot from that into more technology. And um, I was doing, you know, real basic website kind of stuff and net objects, which if anyone remembers that, that thing is a horrible piece of software back in the day. Um, and then I started working for my brother at Lexton. Uh, my brother, Chris at Lexton runs a really great design uh, company here in Central Ohio, probably one of the more premier design country, uh, companies in the world, really, in the space of understanding um, uh, user research and design research. And, uh, you know, working for family is fun. It's, it's not as easy as you might think. You know, you get a lot of tough love from your brothers. And uh, uh, Chris always provided uh, a gauntlet of opportunity and um, ample work. And through uh, Lexnet, I got to go to places like Tokyo and Beijing to do research on um, medical devices. I got to travel the world. It was just a great, it was a great time. I worked there for about 11 years, um, which is a lot, probably the longest time I spent anywhere. And I ended up learning a lot about uh, user research and research, uh, users doing research. And I was sort of in, um, I was sort of uh, obsessed with building tools for them. Uh, I always thought there was a better way to do things. Uh, and so that's where I started getting into sort of, um, I guess, my love of prototyping, which ultimately led me to, you know, big kidding and so forth. Um, uh, at when I was at Lexton, I sort of started Big Kitty in 2008 with uh, my partner, Tishar Kulkarni, uh, the first startup weekend that came to Columbus. Um, that's where I didn't know a soul. You know, I, I showed up there at Tech Columbus, probably the first time I was ever in the building. You know, we all had, I had a moleskin with seven ideas on it. And I stood up in front of a bunch of people I had no idea who they were. And I couldn't wait to say my ideas and get the hell out of the room because I didn't think anyone would give a crap about it. 
uh, and, uh, you know, I, I had nine people sort of surround me and said, let's do this idea. And, and I learned a lot about what Startup Weekend really is about. It's really not about starting companies, but really about starting people uh, in terms of like starting their passions and, and helping people sort of um, remix the notion of what they could do and remix the notion of what is possible and change things. And I, I really got inspired from that. Um, our first startup didn't work out, um, but in a lot of ways it wasn't, that's great. I'm glad it didn't work. I'm glad uh, it didn't because it, it helped lay the groundwork for what I really wanted to do, which was manifest. I've always been a person to just make. Um, and I haven't really ever recognized that about myself until I got much older, uh, where I really, really just realized that that was a great gift. And then- And I, I feel uh, like I feel like we're in a natural transition into like sure. big kitty and startup. But before we leave that world that you've kind of yeah. taken us through and go into that world of you yeah. now and big kitty and, and working yeah. in the startup world, yeah. I want to mention how eerily- like how many similarities we have. Okay. One of them is I'm the last of six kids. Nice. All right. Number two is um, my daughter goes to Catholic school. Mm. She goes to St. Pius and you went to Bishop Waterson, right? So that Catholic education, I, I, you know, I didn't get the full Catholic school experience. I probably spent a semester when I was in Liberia in Catholic school. So we have that connection as well. But really one of the things I wanted to like have you on this show to talk about is the yep. evolution of the startup ecosystem. Yeah, you here in Columbus. You mentioned yeah. that in 08 was the first startup weekend. Yep. You didn't know anyone. You yep. got up there, you pitched your idea. From yeah. your perspective, 08 to 2022, Wow. Uh, well, a lot what, happened. What has kind of been the, the thing that really is like, wow, over time, right? What has really wowed you about what's happening in our community over time? I think um, probably the biggest thing that's really probably moved me is the amount of, uh, and I, I create a lot of my own science and terms. I just do that to help me explain things. But um, Columbus sort of formed a gravity well. If I can, uh, this is something I use to often explain people there. Uh, you, you, for, sometimes you meet people that you just have to spend more time with. You don't know why, but you're, you're connected on a wavelength or thinking. And Startup Weekend helps sort of initiate sort of the ground zero, in my opinion. Now, it's key to, it's, it's super key though, that before we start talking about how our, our time and our heyday is all, it's, it's like all that, is that everything that we have, you know, is built on somebody else. Like someone else built Columbus, right? Someone took it from the freaking dirt to where we had it. And then we took it further. So, you know, it, that, that's just really key because too often we get, you know, we all get sucked in about, oh, how we matter. No, man, it's the person who decided let's settle here in the first place, right? <laughs> like the, those are the people that really, you just, you need to remember that because the, I feel like the more you're driven with sort of wild delusion and passion for what is possible and the more you actually understand where the state of technology is and see the merge between those two things and you stay humble and sort of like you sort of you you think about it and giving back along the way like I don't think of myself as like a traditional give back person I think of myself of as long as I keep meeting people and empowering people that's how I get back you know what I mean but I felt like in 2008 you know the EMP went off essentially in Columbus in my opinion and things started to change uh, you know drive wasn't here yet right you know it wasn't like you know 
you know, it wasn't like we had 2008 and Kwame, you know, like the hotline, the red phone, Columbus, you know, it's like, it was nothing like that, right? So I think Columbus has always been, one of the booms that came before the tech boom was the design boom and the fashion boom that happened in Columbus. That, you know, we had companies like Fitch uh, who were, uh, you know, Fitch and RPA and all these really big design firms were in Ohio and creating a very big pool of design creative people which I think fostered as technology arrived and helped create a new, you know, synergistic sort of technology and design, which is what kind of unfolded. Maybe not so much on the heavy design side, but, you know, Ohio is an insurance town, right? So it's obvious to see, you know, insurance concepts sort of break, you know, and we saw things like Root and Brand, you know what I mean? Like there's a, there was a lot of like natural progression that I think um, we didn't see it, but like it was turned on in my opinion. And then as a result, you saw things like drive definitely helped by bringing larger players and bigger thinking, which Columbus kind of needed. Um, but, you know, Rich Langdale did a ton of, you know, legwork and ground found, you know, foundational work long before some of these players arrived. And, and even though, and that's the funny thing too, it's, it's not even about those players. You know, those players move giant chess pieces, but they are not the heart of the city. The heart of the city is you and me and that person who's thinking about cashing out their 401k and you're like whoa let's not do that let's just rethink that idea let's think about how you and your family can still live and breathe and you know and you can create a better life maybe you could live over here in this part of town and i think columbus kind of went through it kind of went through a silent revolution like um as we got more affluent with technology and Ohio state's been a huge proponent of that in terms of you know for, I remember the longest time when I was working in commercialization, and we'll talk about that, but, um, you know, so many, so many talented students out of Ohio State that know anything about coding, they basically have a job by the time they're in their second year. Like, it's locked. Like, Amazon's just ready for them to leave, right, and be done with. That's just, we didn't have, I don't, I don't, I can't recall a time and period where those opportunities were as, you know, plentiful. And I think as more people, um, got that interest more people decided to stay you know i had a lot of my first rung employees had way paying better jobs to go to you know places but they're like you know i'd rather stay in columbus and start a family and keep creating cool stuff with you dan you know what i mean and it's like wow that's sweet let's go help these people here you know what i mean so i think it i think it evolved but um and i also think that the the leaders of the city uh you know, we talk about the, the Columbus Foundation folks, those other folks. I wish they were more transparent uh, in terms of the playbook, you know, because I feel like they had a playbook and they had an execution strategy and executed it. Um, but I don't necessarily maybe think it was maybe as um, uh, empowering to all those around them. You know what I mean? It's, it's Yeah, I think and I think you, yeah. you, you make a very good point uh, in that nothing just happens, right? Columbus has been built on, you know, multiple foundations right. over generations to get us to where we are. Yep. And to your point, there's some key players, right? You mentioned a few of them, uh, including Rich Langdale, who's a great friend of the show. Yep. Um, but like one of my, on the governmental side, favorite leaders of all time is Mayor Mike Coleman, right? Yep. Which is where I feel like in my uh, 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 time in Columbus, he represented kind of that longevity, that steady yep. hand that was needed over a period of time 
to yeah. really get a lot of things laid down so that we could really springboard forward. But I don't want to stay in the past too long. I want to talk about the present and I want to get some free consulting here from the big kitty himself, Dan Rockwell. Folks, we'll be right back to continue my conversation. Don't go anywhere. This episode is brought to you by Rev One. Rev One's mission is to help entrepreneurs build great companies. As you navigate the waters of business entrepreneurship, you don't have to go it alone. A strategic partnership with Rev One connects innovators to the talent, customers, space, and funding you need when you need it. Get started with Rev One Startup Studio by visiting RevOneVentures.com to learn more. Again, the website is RevOneVentures.com. Support for 614 Startups comes from Color Coded Labs. It's time for a better career in tech. Introducing Color Coded Labs, a 16-week boot camp that does more than just teach basic code. It's a program designed to help you actually get a career in tech. At Color Coded Labs, we've removed all the barriers to help you learn the skills you need to start a career you love in weeks, not years. All designed for people of color by people of color. Apply now at Color Coded labs.com. All right. Welcome back to the show. I'm continuing my conversation with Dan Rockwell of Big Kitty Labs. All right, Dan, yeah, you man. have the experience, right? Uh, even though we're an ecosystem that's fast growing, we still are made up of a majority first time founders, right? A lot of people doing this for the very first time and they yep. tune into this show to learn from folks like yourself. So let's yep. talk about your experience and how you think about going from idea, right? I have an idea for a startup to building out product. What is that process as you think about it and as you execute it at Big Kitty Labs? Yeah, um, so probably the first thing, first thing I try to do with everybody is um, to have them get to the origin story. So there's a couple of things that I do that I need to do in order to um, be confident enough to take it into the machine of Big Kitty. Like mach Big Kitty is a factory uh, in the sense that it, it you know, has a lot of, uh, uh, it's at warp speed. And one thing, one story I always tell people about Big Kitty is that we're at warp. So as long as we're at warp, we're okay with doing other things that are at warp. What we don't like to do at warp speed is drop out of warp speed and try to figure things out and then get back into warp speed. And, you, you know, if you do that back and forth, you lose the rhythm of movement and momentum, which is super key to, 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 to everything. My, my, you know, my whole fabric is about momentum in terms of things. Um, and momentum is really, really all momentum is, is a series of decisions that are choices that you've made and that you're actually making the manifestation of the things happen. Like you're starting to see, you know, there was fog on the street, but now you're like, oh, there's actually a turn coming up and then there's this, and, you know, X and Y. So, for me, getting people to walk their idea back to the original origin story, that's super key because what happens a lot of times is there's an origin story of why, and then people add all the justification as to why that story should stay alive for all time. When a lot Give of times- Give me an example. Give me an example of an origin story. What is, a, what, is a, what is the essence, right? Can you give me an example yeah. of a good origin story? Well, I mean, like for example, um, like right now, the whole notion of DeFi, DeFi, decentralized finance, this notion of control of your finance and whatnot, that's because we're, we've been in a world where 
the bank has had our money for years and has never maybe done the amount of empowerment or changes or or new thinking it should do with like this thing that you give it every day like every day you give it your money and uh, and they don't do anything with it right other than maybe they show you a little percent back but they're not doing the disruptive innovation change that you feel you should have here in the year 2022 right so a lot of times ideas are coming because the person is in a future state they're seeing everything around them being enabled and then they're going and ev evaluating their life and the workflows that they're in and they're seeing this one thing that doesn't seem to belong in this universe anymore and so they want to change it you know i want to i want to change uh, you know for example how um like if I was doing, uh, you know, dog detailing, oh yeah, you used to just wash a dog with a, you know, a garden hose. <sighs> no, I want to make it a tailored experience. Why? Because I think people like me, I do a tailored experience, and I noticed other people talk to me about that tailored experience, and then they want my experience. So I did a couple customers like as a lifestyle play, but then I started to see maybe if I did this in a bigger stage and made a mobile app and then I had a platform and then I could onboard franchises. And then, you know what I mean? You start getting, you, you start empire building in your head before you realize one, how much of the actual business ecosystem of dog detailing or dog grooming do you really know about? One, uh, who are the competitors in the space? And it's not to say who's doing like, oh, I'm afraid of competition. You want to know the space. You need to know the ecosystem. You need to know why things got the way they are so you can better understand the potential human behaviors that may be actually already existing that are actually going to push your innovation away long before. Like you, Sometimes you can come up with all kinds of innovation, but nothing sticks. That's weird, right? All you right. So, so, so let, me, let, me let, me, let me turn this back on you now. Yep. What is the origin story of Big Kitty Labs? What did you origin, see out yeah. there that made you want to do what you do? Origin story for Big Kitty Labs for me starts in 2006, probably 2005. Uh, it's when I first started building software for Lexton, um, observing. Um, it actually was we were doing focus groups and um, I noticed people taking uh, notes in Excel. And we had to do one of the first things we had to do is we had to edit a highlights reel. So you would watch um, a meeting go down, you take notes, but then you want to go back and make a highlights reel of all the good quotes that someone said. Uh, so you could give it to a client for like a top line, hear all the things they said about a product when we were product testing or whatnot. But that's a laborious process if you have to go back to the notes and get the time code and everything. Why not take notes and time code at, at the same time and then be able to spit out a really quick edit list to edit a video and then you could edit the video really quick and you could collapse something that would take you maybe 12 hours down to four hours. That was the first genesis in my mind of what I love to do, which was the, that realization that the acceleration was there, the realization that it could be made, and then the realization I could find something to do it. And when I put all those pieces together, what I did was I was able to manifest that future and build that product and then actually implement it and then watch it get traction and usage. And so from there, um, I started, that was my first point where I became the conductor between a software developer and a client. And that's the heart of a consultancy for the most part on how I work is I don't code, but I know enough about what the technology can do and what the developer could do and what the client wants. And I navigate that space. And it, when I took that to, when I went to startup weekend, uh, I didn't intend to build a startup. I went there to have an experience. Um, and I met a lot of people and it was like a rapid accelerator of learning about people you either like or don't like, right? You, you learn a lot of things really quick. Uh, and I love that because 
uh, pressure and circumstance and situation and context in a, in a you know, in a, in something that's moving, things are going to break, but you have to, you have to stay with the mission. You know what I mean? And so you, you, it's just that helped a lot when I got into. It. And then starting Big Kitty was because the first startup um, did everything I didn't want it to do, which was like it played the game of business. You know, I played the well. You have a business. We should get business cards. Let's get a car. I, and I don't blame any of those people at the time. It's just that. It wasn't my notion of business, and I didn't know what my notion of business was because it was the first time I ever did it, right? So um, Big Kitty happened because Tushar, my partner, was um, followed me. Like, I left that company and uh, at, at first, and he's like, well, I'm going to go with you. And then I kind of turned to him and said, well, what do you want to see? And he had a, a soccer program. He was a product uh, he was building in India with a friend and the user experience wasn't great. And so I kind of, again, took that same principle. Here's what's possible with the tech. Here's what the coder should be able to do. Here's, you know, here's that foundation. And basically I orchestrate and that's really my main skill. And Big Kitty is, is a orchestration company in the sense that we meet with people, we listen to what they say, we see how much funding they potentially have or don't have or what they need. We see, uh, we are so much more in tune now with what makes a good founder. You know what I mean? Like we can meet well, somebody. Let me, let me ask you this. Yeah. Let's say I have a, a so here's my idea. Mm -hmm. It's not, I just made it up right now, right? Do it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have too many ways of paying. I need a unified way of paying for everything where mm -hmm. uh, I have a decision-making process that decides whether I should be paying cash or credit. And it's making these decisions for me based on, you know, like points or uh, what's going to build my credit best, like real financial decision making. Yep. It's all the same thing. I'm spending the money, yep. but there's a decision making process that I'm missing potential accrual of financial benefits in the long term. Do yep. I split my mortgage payment this month into two? because yeah. I got three paychecks this month yeah. and it's a 52 week, whatever. Yeah. There's this AI, it all yeah. goes into one bucket. It's paying credit card bills for me. It's yep. uh, signing me out of things I'm not using. It's, it's my financial manager. That's right. my origin story. Right. Right? So here's, here's, the, um, here's good news and bad news. First thing you wanna get <laughs> this big piece of paper and you wanna lay all that out. I try to uh -huh. force people to go out of the conversation piece and write on paper. Why? Because when you put it on paper, you, you do the first act of manifestation. You take, this is a priority and how I'm thinking real, 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 my brain's going really fast, put it on paper. Why? Because the minute you put it on paper, now it's a set thing. And now it's a chess piece that we can either, we can actually look at. One of the first problems a founder has is they have, you know, 984% uh, like, you know, brain um, psychosis going on around the concept. And they have maybe two ideas that are truly true on paper. And this, the more that gap is there, the, the more the startup's not going to work because not enough of the idea and plan and what they have is actually out of their head on a paper so that they can logically rethink it. Because the first problem you have in a, like that, your banking sort of concept is um, unless you have a ton of money um, to get all those players to work the way you want, it's never going to work. You don't control the ecosystem. That's the first oh, problem. Oh, we're manifesting, Dan. Don't tell me what's not going to work, well, my friend. And right. you're going to have to hold that thought of challenging me until <laughs> after the break. All right. So, so what we're going right. to do now, 
is we're going to break down this idea like you break down ideas at Big Kitty okay. Labs right after this break. Dan, I had to do it to you, man, because you That's challenged good. my idea and I'm yep. just starting to manifest. All right, folks, thank you for hanging out with me. Dan and I are just having a little fun. We'll be back on the other side of these messages. Support for the 614 Startups podcast comes from Nationwide. Nationwide's mission is to protect people, businesses, and futures with extraordinary care. To help fulfill that mission, Nationwide is looking to invest its $350 million venture capital investment fund in InsureTechs that will help them create new and exciting products and solutions to meet the needs of their customers. If you're interested in partnering with Nationwide's venture capital team, visit nationwideventures.com to learn more. Again, the website is nationwideventures.com. Nationwide is on your side. Support for 614 Startups comes from Hairdrop. Never visit the beauty supply store again. Order your beauty products from the Hairdrop app and have them delivered in an hour or less. Hairdrop is like DoorDash for beauty products. Get your hair care, grooming tools, hair extensions, and more when you need them to ensure you look and feel your best at all times. Available for download from both the Apple and Google Play stores, get a beauty supply store in your pocket by visiting hairdrop.app and have your beauty delivered today. All right, folks, I'm loving my conversation with Dan Rockwell. We're right back. Okay, we're going to continue this conversation. All right, Dan, sorry to cut you off there. Yeah. You were making a very salient point about yeah. your role as a consultant and why, yeah. you know, you have to be able to look at both sides of the coin. Yeah, um, I, I disagree with a lot of founders. It's one of the key things. In fact, I tell founders, most clients, I tell them the story of, of the, the sniper rifle, meaning my traditional role is to be a mercenary. Developer is a mercenary, typically. Um, meaning you've asked me to kill a target 600 yards. Build me a sniper rifle to kill my target 600 yards, right? I, I know I'm using metaphors. This is how I think, okay? Um, as a role as a developer, I'm going to build that rifle to do exactly that. You give me the requirements, I can build that. That's not what a founder wants in this reality, in my opinion. Um, what most people want, uh, they'll, I'll build that sniper rifle and have no problem you know, taking out your target, right? And then they go, well, what do you think? I'm like, whoa, 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 you just asked the mercenary now to put on the founder's cap, right? And that's no problem. I love the, I love the rifle we built. I just don't know why you're here, right? That's a key thing because when you, if you force a developer, um, and this is something I really disagree with when uh, Columbus was pushing this message, like go out and get everyone you know who could be a possible developer to jump your team and give everyone equity. That is a terrible way to start in my opinion because when you start, the idea is who, who, who's got the idea, the founder, who is basically staying up at four in the morning thinking about the idea of the founder, right? So the founders have to be in rhythm with the idea. And when you start giving away equity on your concept to people who are not necessarily in the rhythm yet, you're basically giving up control on your own idea to people that may or may not be in sync. And in this day and age, you should not do that. Why? Because AI is going to be your best uh, hustling, never sleep, will always work, will collapse every possible concept that you want to do in terms of making it happen going forward. The ear of the hustler is here, my friends. AI is going to make everybody on this planet who doesn't know the technical edge cross the gap. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody that doesn't know everyone that, like, I'm a developer, right? 
That means my team is actually getting super powered, but that also means that the average person can be a lot more powerful than they realize. They just happen to meet the right people in town. And that's me. You just made a big statement. The era yeah. of the hustler is here. The yeah. nonstop hustler, the outthink you hustler, the evaluate all possible scenario hustlers. And now that power is in our hands yeah. as entrepreneurs. So a couple of key points that you've made, right? Number one, you got to have your origin story. Yep. Number two, uh, using the sniper get analogy. It out. Yeah. Get it I down on paper. And that forces you to simplify. It forces you to prioritize. Someone uh, that's great for someone that's got like, oh, I have a ton of ideas. Great, you wrote down thirty-six circles that have a big idea. Great. All right, Kwame, why don't you come in here? Kwame comes in, and Chris Olson goes, all right, I'll give you funding for three. Oh, so now you had to find three of those circles that you love so much. Which, by the way, you know, Chris is only going to give you the first five bucks. He doesn't give you the other four hundred and fifty million until you cross the gap. So you had to take the three ideas that, that he told you to constraint, right? This is what VC does. Deal with the constraints, manifest your reality, but deal with the constraints and show me why my $1 can give me a 10 million back, right? Um, and good founders in today's day and age will be able to do that because the differentiating thing going forward is not gonna be the high powered AI. The differentiating thing going forward is gonna be the audacity of the human spirit. So it's the audacity of the human spirit to say, I want to do this. I want to manifest this this kind of change. I will use these tools and technologies to build that future. And I will bring this flock of people with me. That's the future we're headed toward. Let's define AI. What is AI? Uh, in my opinion, AI is collapsing execution. Meaning what would normally take you six hours, you can do it in four seconds. Um, what would normally, um, that's where it's, that's where the biggest power of AI is. AI is, here's the funny thing. AI is not where we expect it to be. Uh, and like, oh, I'm going to go into the doctor and talk to the hologram, you know, Star Trek doctor and a beautiful, it's not going to be there first. It's going to be everywhere where you can't see it. It's going to be the magic in the system. It's going to be the weird. I could get a package in one hour. How is that possible? Right. Or the, uh, uh, I walked into Macy's and uh, it already knew what I wanted. In fact, when I walked in the dressing room, it already put the clothes on. Now, oh, that's pretty cool. That's the new shirt from Nike. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's anticipating. It's collapsing um, all the traditional sort of uh, workflows. Like copyright, like right now, the marketing industry has been nuked from orbit, in my opinion, in terms of AI and its capabilities. And the fact that you can take um, a second year student in journalism, put him next to a really intelligent, um, um, actually just an off the shelf AI right now, and you, or anyone, and you can, you can create content. You can, the AI can take over your social media. Now it doesn't, it still doesn't know your intent. You're still gonna have to go in and feed it your intent. Again, the human spirit is still in control. You're, we have to stop thinking about as AI taking jobs. It, you know what? Um, the calculator took a ton of jobs from people that made those abacuses, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, well, let me, let me ask you a question this, yep. because now you're getting into the, the metaphysical yeah. and we're talking about the human spirit. We're talking yep. about manifesting. I can go there with you. Okay, Dan. So let's talk Wait. about that. Of the founders that walk into your office that you talk yep. to on zoom. Yep. Are you having those that, that oh my yeah. goodness i could just feel this person radiating with that yeah. 
thing that's going to be the difference maker now that AI is going to do everything else. Do they have that clear intent? And then do they have that spirit, right, to really embrace a big idea and go after it? I think the raw talent is there. And that's what that's what has been digging at me lately uh, and sort of forcing me to kind of come back into the scene a little bit as I feel like I'm being called as a steward to, to, to find, like I've met a couple of these people. I've met some people who are 18, 19, young, the, the new generation. And they maybe they're not, they don't have all the cool tools on my utility belt or on Kwame's tool, to, utility belt or, or riches, right? But um, they have this raw power. And I think that, that that's a that's something that here in Columbus, like all my, uh, you know, everyone, all of us, we all should be digging for those people and bringing them out and, and empowering and putting them in place because we want to create, you know, the next Columbus and so on. So, but I think, I think AI will actually help surface them. Uh, and AI is actually going to help, uh, it has uh, the potential to disrupt our own movement. In other words, um, you and I, we always uh, sort of maybe evangelize or celebrate the startup people. There's a ton of people that don't even know what the word startup is using AI and doing amazing things, right? So that's the thing. Uh, we can get too high on our, you know, let's all hang out on a tech browse team, right? Not realizing that there's a ton of people doing totally amazing stuff. And they're, you know what I mean? Like we have to be, we have to be very mindful of our siloed mentality and make sure that we are um, creating forums that allow people to, to bring in more expression to the table. Sorry for that noise. It's okay. And to your point of the people who haven't heard the word startup, but are using AI, they're on Instagram, right? Yeah. They're Whatever. interacting with AI and algorithms and they're learning what the algorithms desire of you in order to get your content to be seen by more people. So we're all interacting with AI currently. I we are, and we're also, learning, we're also learning the found, like, we don't know where the roles are. I will, I will say that, like, if you said, Dan, of all the AI startups in Ohio, how many of them are doing AI? I don't know. Like, AI right now is a really sexy moniker to put in front of your company. You may just have a bunch of machine learning data sets, and you knowing that, you know, if you see enough of this data, you make this decision. You know what I mean? It, and I don't want to get into that kind of stuff, because... It's that's like me getting into, oh, you're not starting up startup, right? I'm actually starting, starting up. You're just starting. You know what I mean? I don't want to get into that. <laughs> but but the, the more important thing to think about is what are the tools? What are the actual things that we could do? What are the use cases? What's, you know, it's AI use case fest. Okay, here's use case one. I think we could use it for copywriting. Yeah, not a problem. Done. Could I use it for, um, you know, I want to simulate uh maybe i want to do storyboarding for a movie in my head normally that would cost me 70 grand maybe ai can help me do it for six dollars yes you know what i mean so and it's not going to be perfect you're going to have to do the ebb and the flow just like when it came out with the internet when we first got apis and they're you know some of them worked and some of them didn't um that that's the kind of thing we're kind of rolling into and then of course with nfts and cryptocurrencies it's like a mirror world right so that's like the parallel dimension to reality in a lot of ways. Um, and that's going to continue to unfold at pace. Dan, I hate to wrap this conversation, but we do have to wrap. I feel like this is part one of many. And before I wrap, I usually have my one thing and I'm going to get into that, but I got to give you a big thank you. All right. So when you're building a company, there are people early on who believe in what you're doing. 
And sometimes that's a pat on the back. Sometimes that's an introduction. And other times that's cold, hard cash. I remember Big Kitty Labs is one of the first checks that we got as a sponsor on this podcast. So I just want to say thank you so much to the team at Big Kitty Labs for believing in us. And thank you for being you, man. You, you, um, you dove in this. I remember when you were, uh, you know, knee deep in a pool of Kosai not knowing if this thing would take off or not. And you had the audacity to manifest it. And then your flock came to you and look where you are. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Now this is my final thing. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining me to have this conversation. Everybody plays a role in a community. And I think we may have just found our resident philosopher. We're going to bring Dan back on to talk about these philosophical things, because I think as a society, we are going to get to a point where the most important things won't be our physical labor. And in some instances, our brain power. It will be about things that transcend that. And maybe that's going to be the difference maker for the entrepreneurs that change the world for the next 80 years. 614 Startups Nation, thank you for joining us on another show. My name is Elio Harmon. My guest was Dan Rockwell. And thank you for hanging out with us. We look forward to seeing you back soon. Awesome. Thanks, Elio.